Nezer, and uh, there's a story in Scripture of the Israelites uh, gaining the victory over their enemies and uh, Samuel being able to bring the Ark of the Covenant back, and he uh, sets up an altar and a, a landmark, and uh, he calls the place his, the Ebenezer, meaning the Lord our help. And uh, what a thought that the, the reason that they had had victory and that God had blessed the situation was because of his help. And that's what that phrase means in that song. Here I raise my Ebenezer, recognizing that the Lord is our help. Hither by thyself, I, myself I come. And uh, what, a, what a great, great verse of uh, song. And uh, just wanted to point that one out because that's one of the songs, if you don't know the story in Scripture, it doesn't really make a lot of sense to you. Uh, and it helps us to understand that. And um, maybe you can take some time to look that up this week, read about it. It's a very interesting uh, uh, part of Scripture. Let's take our Bibles, if you will, turn to Isaiah chapter number 5. Isaiah chapter number 5. We're going to read one verse of Scripture, and um, then we'll pray and, and jump into our uh, lesson for this afternoon. Isaiah chapter number 5, and uh, verse number 20. Isaiah chapter 5 and verse number 20, the Bible says, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Father, I pray that you'll bless once again the time that we spend in your word. May you guide and direct our thoughts and the message may it be the one that we need and that will be a help to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's interesting that in the day that we live, the Bible tells us that as Christians we're to walk circumspectly. And I try to be careful how much news I watch uh, in our country, and yet uh, to still be able to be aware of what is taking place, what is happening. If, if we as Christians are to be salt and light in this world, then we need to understand where the world is, and uh, we need to have some awareness of that. And while I'm not at all advocating that you go out and watch a bunch of news, because news can be skewed and, and certainly uh, people give their opinions in the news far more than they used to, and uh, you can be misunderstanding the situation, I do believe that it benefits us to be aware, to be watchful of things that are going on in the world today. And we're dealing with some things in our, in our last year or two, a couple of years now, that have been the culmination of a number of generations. Uh, back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, Time Magazine came out with an article on the title of their cover. The title of the article was The Generation That Forgot God. And uh, the idea that after the World War II generation, uh, there was a generation that, uh, because of the hardships of war when they came back, began to focus on the leisureness of life, and didn't put a high emphasis on going to church any longer. And uh, a lot of families were beginning to drop by the wayside in the uh, late 60s and early 70s. And we find the, the anti-establishment and we, what we referred to back then as the hippie movement going around. And some of you can remember those days. Some of you were part of those days. And um, we remember those times where uh, anti-authority going against the grain and as a result of a generation that was just then beginning to depart from the things of the Lord. 
There was a time when even if people didn't go to church or didn't uh, hold to scriptural things, they at least had respect for those that did. And they at least had the decency, the moral decency, to uh, be careful when they were around them to not be offensive to those that were Christians. We use the phrase in our country, separation of church and state, and it's so misused today to mean that the uh, government uh, is uh, not to, uh, uh, or the church is not to have any part of government. And that was never the intent. The intent was to keep government out of the church. And the church was always to have an influence over government, or at least the things of the Lord were to have an influence over government. And in fact, our government in our country was uh, instituted, and when it was instituted, one of the great thinkers of the day made the statement that this kind of government will only work with a highly moral people. If the morality of the people began to decline, then this government will fail. And we're living in the day where now, after several generations of folks that did not put an emphasis on rearing their children and raising children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, they've raised a generation that were even less inclined to going to church. We're now in even the fourth or fifth generation removed from that. And we are bearing the, reaping the, uh, the, the marks of a generation that forgot God. And lest we sit back as Christians and say, well, it's, it's all those folks who wouldn't go to church and didn't make a, a, a big priority over it. The truth is, we as God's people for far too long sat idly and quietly by while these things took place. And we allowed them to go on without standing for the truth and, and being bold and forthright on them. And we live now in a day where, quite tragically, many times... The things that are right and moral, according to God's moral law and standard, are now considered the wrong things or the deviant things of society. And the things that are deviant, according to the law, and the sinful, and and sometimes uh, referred to as abominations, and wickedness, and iniquity, and things that we do not want to whitewash at all, because the Bible doesn't whitewash them, they are now called the good things of society, and they are the things that people uh, attempt to uh, aspire to in their, in their thought process, in their, uh, their speaking, in their actions, in their conduct towards. We live in a day where parents are being uh, arrested and kicked out of school board meetings simply for having concern that their children at a young age are being exposed to pornographic literature in the, in the school libraries and where transgendered students are, are uh, 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 molesting others in the, in the school restrooms and parents coming and trying to raise this as a concern in school boards are being the ones that are looked at as the deviant ones. They're the ones that are being put into the jails and being arrested for these things. We're living in a day where, uh, I just, just this week I was listening to an interview uh, of, uh, and I, I hate listening to these things, but occasionally I, I want to know what, what the thoughts are of these people. But it was one of the Hollywood, what, we, what the world refers to as one of the Hollywood elites, was being interviewed as if they have any kind of sense about them at all, uh, which they don't. But he was being interviewed, and I guess a, a situation took place recently where one of the actors uh, slapped another actor for talking about his wife or something along those lines. And he was speaking to that, and he said, there's never a time for violence over words that have been said. And yet the same person turned right around and within the same interview said, 
the riots that are going on because of the, uh, the things that are being said about the Supreme Court and the overturning of Roe versus Wade and all this are absolutely justified. And I thought, how, how uh, hypocritical uh, that they would say such things out of one side of their mouth, say one thing, and out of the other, the other. And I'm not trying to be overly political today, but I think it does us well to understand the condition of our society today. We're living in a time where this world is so confused over what is right and what is wrong. And it's because for far too long, for too many generations, we have raised our children with no moral absolute and no moral center. We've done away with God's Word. We've done away with the Ten Commandments. We've done away with prayer in the public schools. And when then we wonder why our children have no moral stipulations, why they have no character. And we live in a day where the, 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 the answer, the answer, for increased violence and crime is to defund the police. We need far fewer of them because there's too much violent crime going on. We sit here and we think how ludicrous the Bible foretold of it. The Bible understood that these things were going to happen. God certainly warned even His people in the time of Isaiah. He said, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil and put darkness for light and uh, and light for darkness that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. It's amazing how this world has so substituted darkness for the light. And they, they are running headlong into it. They desire it. They long for it. Uh, by the way, uh, the Bible told us that's the case. Human nature, sinful nature of man before they are saved. The Bible says men love darkness rather than light. And you want to know why? The Bible tells us why. He says, because their deeds are what? You know, the, the misconception in the world today is this, that man is inherently good. The Bible teaches us that that is not the case. In fact, it goes on to say there is none good. No, not one. There's not one of us in here that have an inherently good nature. Now, that doesn't mean that there from time to time somebody doesn't do a kind gesture or a good deed, but I've found in the day we live that even in those cases, many times it's all about them. It's so they can feel good, it's so that they can have something beneficial happen to them. It's not because they're good. I, I've laid out for a few moments here some of the condition of our society because I want to ask this question. As God's people, what are we to do? How are we to respond to this? Are there biblical principles that help guide us in living in such a society, and I believe that there are. There's a lot of, a lot of well-meaning and well-intentioned, I believe, Christian folks that have good ideas about how to combat this. Have good ideas about here's what we ought to do in this case. And yet I believe the Bible has the best answer for it. And so I want us to look at a couple of things here. Take your Bibles and turn with me first of all to 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. 1 Corinthians chapter number 14. One of the things that we need to, we need to lay as kind of a, a, a basis for our lesson this afternoon, or the teaching from the Word of God this afternoon, it needs to be kind of a foundational truth as we look at what are we supposed to do, how are we to respond to these things. Uh, let, let's, let's understand something here. 1 Corinthians chapter number 14, and let's look in verse number 33. Notice the Bible says this, For God is not the author of what? Confusion, but of peace, 
as in all the churches of the saints. Now, I understand he's dealing here with strife in the churches. But he, under, he makes very clear here that God is not the author of confusion, whether it's in the church or out of the church. That uh, is not something that God... God is a very, very systematic, very organized, very structural God. If you don't believe me, look at nature. Everything is absolutely in balance. Everything is impeccably where it's supposed to be. And if even one little atom begins to deviate, all of creation is thrown into turmoil. God is an orderly God. And I would say this, that we need to establish this, this thought and this truth at the onset of understanding what we as God's people are to do in a situation like this. And that is this, that we need to understand where the confusion is coming from and be careful that we do not entangle ourselves in it. We may be sincere in our desire to do something about it. We may be sincere in thinking, I think I know the best way to do this. But as often the case, we get bogged down and even drawn into the confusing talk of, of, this, of the issues. Can I help us with something this afternoon? Whatever issue it is in society, whatever it is that our country seems to be going through today, can have very complex, and I don't know if you've ever noticed this before, but I'll give you a for instance in the recent issue of the abortion that now is so much in the limelight of society today, the people that are for it oftentimes to justify it will come up with a far-fetched scenario that in very, 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 very rare cases would even happen as the justification to make it open for everything. They, they, they try to muddle it up with so many hypotheticals and so many confusing aspects of, of the scenario that they create in order to justify it for everybody. And if we are not careful, we will begin to address all the nuances of each of their arguments. And can I help you with something? The truth of God's Word is what combats it. And God's truth on every one of these issues is a simple truth. It does not have to be complex. God did not call us to debate for hours on end people on every nuance of argument. But He has called us to declare the truth of His Word. We've got to be so careful that we don't become so bogged down in the confusion of what's taking place that we become ensnared and even part of the problem rather than part of the solution. Look with me, if you will, at 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. And again, trying to establish this as kind of something for us to ground and build on uh, over the next two points that we're going to bring this afternoon. 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. And uh, let's look in verse number 3. Paul, writing to the church, says this, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the what? What's the next word? The simplicity that is in Christ. Paul's speaking to a church. He's speaking to believers. He said, listen, Satan is subtle. He, he has a way of distracting and even drawing good, well-meaning, sincere Christian people into the massive confusion of the issue. When the truth of the matter is, all we need is the simple truth of God's Word to refute it. The problem is we as God's people oftentimes get bogged down into the complexity and the confusing, all the, all the different objective, uh, subjective confusions of the issues. We begin to address them. We get online and we have forums that we go into and we type 
And we give arguments back and forth for hours on end. We delve into all the little nuances when the truth is we just need to come to the simplicity of God's truth and say, here's what the Bible says. Well, yeah, but what about this? Here's what the Bible says. Uh, But what about this over here? Here's what the Bible says. Our world has, so for, for far too long, had a subjective morality. It has had a, 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 it's not an absolute. It's, it's, uh, we, 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 we base our morality on the situation. Uh, situational ethics is what they used to call it years ago. What's right or what's wrong depends on the situation. Well, no, not according to God's Word. According to God's Word, right is always right, and wrong is always wrong, and there's never an in the middle. The truth of God's Word is always absolute. And one of the problems that we are in, the, why we are in the place that we're in today is because for Christian folks, for at least the last four or five generations, we have gone along with the, the arguments of the world, the confusion of the world, as they bring all these things, but what if this and what if that? And we as God's people have come to the place where we've said, well, you know, in that situation, maybe there's an exception. And we have left the absolute authority of God's Word. What we must do is come back to it and say, here's what the Bible says. But what about in the instance of rape? Here's what the Bible says. But what about in the instance of, uh, of the health of the mother? Here's what the Bible says. We've got to get back to the moral absolutes. And then we've got to be strong on it. We've got to be steadfast on it. We've got to be unmovable on it. How does a Christian respond with the simplicity, with the simplicity of God's Word? Notice he says in verse number 3, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be, what's the next word here? Corrupted from. When we get bogged down and leave the simplicity of God's Word and the absolute authority of right and wrong, The Bible says that our minds are corrupted. At that point, I can't even answer a person authoritatively. I can't give any argument that they would look at and say, that's an absolute authority true. I have to come back to the authority of God's Word. The simplicity of it. That there is a sanctity of life. What about, what about the situation our children are in and being taught in, in third grade and even the government wants, and many times they, they're okay with it being all the way down to kindergarten to teach that you can choose your own gender. Well, where are we at teaching the absolute idea that God created male and female in His image, in the image of God created He them? That there are two genders the Bible speaks of, and God created men to be men and women to be women, Period. You say, but what about this, this situation over here? We as God's people have got to quit going down these little rabbit trails and say, listen, the truth is simple. God created two. There's only two and we've got to stick with it. And one of the great downfalls, one of the great sad things that well-intentioned people that name the name of Christ, that have their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, one of the great travesties, is that we get entangled and ensnared in the confusion of the issue and we leave the absolute truth of God's Word. And we're paying, the, we're paying the results of that. We're reaping the results of that. There needs to be a return to it. What does the Bible say? 
After all, we claim to have this book as our sole, I like to add, and only authority of faith and practice. Not the pastor. The pastor's opinion is an opinion, but it's not an authority. But this book, if I preach something that this book says, I can stand up here before you and say there's an authority behind it. It's not me. It's the authority of an almighty God. We've got to get back to having the authority in this world. And somewhere along the line, some people have got to dig their heels in and say, no more, we're not going to drift down this this trail any longer. We're going to grab a paddle and start paddling back upstream and quit drifting along with the world. We're going to take a stand here. Because if we do not do something, our world is rapidly going to continue down this downward spiral. With this in mind, that we understand where the confusion originates and that we guard against being ensnared and bogged down with it, that we resort simply to the simple truth of God's Word, then what is our next step? The next step is then we need to take this truth that we hold in our hands and we need to teach it. We need to make sure that our children know the principles of God's Word. You know something that has appalled me in the last 30 years of education? Is that people that graduated from our public schools in the 50s and the 60s, where they were still somewhat good and somewhat moral, believe that the schools today are the same as they were when they were kids. And they are nothing like it. Not only do they not get a good education, but they are indoctrinated with the philosophy that is found in Isaiah chapter number 5. That the things that are right are now wrong, and the things that are wrong are now right. And they're indoctrinated with that hours out of the week. In the waking hours, the hours that children are awake and conscious, the school has them longer than parents. In a conscious state, and the school has them longer than the church. And then we wonder why they so quickly deviate. Somewhere along the line, we've got to, in our homes, begin to teach the truth of God's Word to our children. If I teach them from God's Word that there are only two genders, that God made a man to be a man and a woman to be a woman, then I can help to combat this thing of the social ill that our society is in today, the sinful uh, uh, wickedness that it tends towards. I, I don't know if we're streaming today. We might get thrown off of Facebook for the things I'm saying today, and yet I'm not saying them in a hateful way. I'm saying them in an urgent way. That we've got to understand this truth and we've got to come back to this. Look with me, if you will, in Deuteronomy chapter number 6. Back in the Old Testament. You say, well, what a novel idea. We need to teach our children the truth, the principles, the morals of God's Word. No, it's an ancient truth. This was was set by God centuries, thousands, millennials ago. Look, Look what it says here. In verse number 4, Deuteronomy chapter 6, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be where? In thine heart. 
Notice that it's got to be in your heart before you ever do any teaching. And probably one of the biggest problems we're in today is we have so many families that God is not in the parents' heart. And so they're not going to teach their children the right way. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to compromise and they're going to say, well, you know, you don't have to be that strict. You really don't. I mean, there's, there's times when this is okay. But what does the Bible say? Well, well, you know, that was good 30 years ago, Pastor. I, 40 years ago. I know people were strong and, man, they, they had standards back then. That was, that, that's, that's a little over the top. Don't you think that's a little, that's a little fanatical? No, that's, that's Bible. That's truth. And truth, if we're not careful, will be fallen in the streets, the Bible says. It's got to be in our hearts. And then I want you to notice what he says in verse number 7. And thou shalt teach them. What's the next word? It's almost as if God knew that there was going to be an evil influence on the hearts of our children, didn't it? He doesn't say just teach them. He says teach them diligently. Make it a priority. Teach them diligently unto thy children and talk of them. When thou sittest in thy house... And when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. You know what? Your children ought to be like, Dad, is that all you ever speak about? Mom, is that all you ever speak about is what God's Word said? Well, absolutely. Why? Because I'm told to do it diligently. Because if I don't, your mind is open to the prey of the philosophy of sinful and wicked men. And somewhere along the line, we've got to respond by teaching the truth of God's Word. You say, Pastor, you're talking about children. No, I'm talking about anyone that we have an opportunity to talk to. Whether it be a mom or a dad, whether it be a grandma or a grandpa, whether it be an aunt or an uncle or a cousin, whether it be a neighbor, whether it be a co-worker. I've, I've had recent times uh, in just, just the last several weeks where a few issues have come up uh, in talking with other folks. And, and the tendency is, well, I don't want to make a stir. I don't want to bring it up. I don't want to be, I don't want to get into an argument. You don't have to get into an argument, but we must declare God's Word. And if it's something that is said in error, we've got to stop the conversation and say, but that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says this, and give them the truth. <clears throat> and if we remain silent, <clears throat> then we are condoning it as much as we are contributing to it. That's not popular preaching. And that's something that oftentimes if we preach on it, people, people shy away from it and say, man, that's just too hard. I, I don't want to have to be known for that. Then you better get used to the society we're living in because it's going to continue. In fact, it's going to wax worse and worse. And your children and your grandchildren are going to have to face a world that you wouldn't even imagine. Somewhere along the line, God's people have got to declare the truth of God's Word. They've got to teach them. Look with me in Psalm 119. Psalm 119 in verse number 1. Blessed. Now, any time I find this word, my ears perk up. I want to know, what is it that causes somebody to be blessed? Blessed, notice this, blessed are the undefiled in the way. If you don't have any better reason to live a godly life, 
a life separate from the world, a life that doesn't uh, involve itself or entangle itself with the things that the world and the ungodly and the unsaved people do. And even if they claim, you know how many people in the entertainment industry claim that they know Christ and yet they live an ungodly and a wicked life? There's no fruit to be born? They ought not be my heroes. They ought not to be the ones I look up to for advice on moral issues. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. Keep yourself unspotted from the world. Keep yourself away from the world. The things of the world that, 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 uh, that go uh, to um, uh, entice us, that cause us the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life and all of these things that the world uses to draw our hearts away. Remain unspotted from them. Blessed are the undefiled in the way. Notice this, who walk in the law of the Lord. Well, I'll tell you, I can't do everything the Bible says. That's just too, too restrictive. Can I tell you, the greatest liberty to be found, the greatest satisfaction, the greatest joy, is to follow after the law of the Lord with all your heart. There is great peace in that. Blessed are they that keep His testimonies, that seek Him. What's the next phrase here, verse number 2? That seek Him what? With their whole heart. Are we getting the gist of this here? There's some diligence involved. There's some wholeheartedness involved. There's some, there's some, uh, years ago, uh, my dad used to say it this way, and I think he got it off an old John Wayne movie or something. There, get a little grit in your crawl. Get, get, come on, get, 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 bear down. We're living in a world where Christians are so anemic and so weak need in these issues that we remain silent and allow the world to dominate the moral center of our society. And time has come that we must put a stop to it or we're going to lose it. They also, verse number 3, notice this, they also do no iniquity. They walk in His ways. Thou hast commanded us to keep Thy precepts, what? There it is again, diligently. Are we getting the, the understanding here, the theme of the message? There's some diligence that needs to be given. There's some wholeheartedness that needs to be given. There's some, there's some zeal. There's some anxiety. There's, there's, some, there's some urgency that needs to be given. Oh, that my ways were directed to keep thy statutes, then shall I not be ashamed when I have respect unto all thy commandments. You know the antithesis of that is this, that when we don't have respect unto all of His commandments, there is shame in that. There is an embarrassment to that. We saw that in Ezra's prayer today. He blushed before God. Why? Because Israel wasn't keeping His commandments. I will praise Thee with uprightness of heart when I shall have learned Thy righteous judgments. I will keep Thy statutes. Oh, forsake me not utterly. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? Here we go. Here we go. By taking heed thereto. Heed to what? According to Thy Word. We're to give heed to God's Word. We're to do it. He says in verse 10, With my whole heart have I sought thee, O let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. You say, what are we supposed to do in a society like this that calls right, wrong, and wrong, right? Number one, don't get entangled in their confusion. Make sure you understand the simplicity of God's truth. Secondly, you need to teach it. Not only have it in your heart, but teach it. When you see the problem and you see the error and somebody speaks otherwise, 
Speak up. Open your mouth. Lift your voice up like a trumpet. You don't have to be rude and you don't have to be mean. But we do need to say, thus saith the Lord. This isn't me trying to contradict somebody. This is God giving truth to them to educate them and teach them. Only then will we see our society return. Only then will we begin to see hearts of men being drawn back to not man's philosophy of right and wrong, but God's absolute of righteousness and morality. We must have a propagation, a teaching, a diligence in teaching and spreading the truth of the Word of God. And can I, can I, this goes without saying, and I should have issued this first because we're living in today where churches are in need of this. But it must be in our hearts first. How am I ever going to teach somebody the truth of God's Word if I don't have it in my heart and take heed to it in my life? How am I ever going to go out here and, and, and go to a world that has chosen and drawn itself towards darkness and replaced the darkness for the, with the light? Replace the light with the darkness. How am I ever going to come and bring light back to them if I don't have the light in my own heart? Maybe, maybe, I don't know. It might have been why Paul, under the inspiration of Scripture, told Timothy to study. Show thyself approved unto God, a workman needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Why? Because when we teach truth to the world, we better make sure we're teaching it rightly. The world will see right through somebody who tries to skate their way through the truth of God's word, and they don't know it well, they don't handle it well, they take verses out of context, and they do not teach truth rightly. We need to make sure that we know this book. That we handle it well. People spend years in thousands and tens of thousands, and in this day and age, even hundreds of thousands of dollars, educating themselves to become an expert in a particular field that they want to give their life maybe 15 or 20 years of to be the specialist in that area. And when it comes to the eternal soul of man, we're not willing to give ourselves even 10 minutes of study in a week. Something's wrong. We're living in a day where right is wrong and wrong is right. And I'm watching as my kids are growing up in a generation and yes, even being impacted by and influenced by this generation. And at some point, Christians have got to say, but God's Word says. That's your authority. Some people may say, well, who do you think you are? I don't think I'm anybody. But I know who God is. And He has every authority. He has every right to tell us what to do and what not to do. We need to know the biblical truth and we need to teach it. And then I would say this, lastly, we need to share the gospel with those that are lost. You know, the Bible says the natural man receiveth not the things of, the, uh, of God, neither, uh, the natural man receiveth not the things of God, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. What does he mean by that? When a man gets saved, the Holy Spirit of God comes to live inside of him. And the Holy Spirit illuminates the truth and helps them to have that understanding. We can teach 
And we need to. We need to open our mouths and teach it to our society. But one of the greatest things we can do is lead someone to Christ and have them trust Him as their Savior and have that Holy Spirit come and indwell them and cause their hearts to change. Years ago when 9-11 happened, I remember my dad preaching the weeks following that. A lot of changes were happening. We still live in a world that is marked by that tragedy. We still bear the marks of it. If you don't believe me, go try to get on an airplane. Things are different than they used to be. There are lists now that people get put on. We live in a more cautious world because of that. Now, I'll never forget as the Congress and and uh, political leaders of that day were contemplating what can we do to keep this from ever happening again. And a lot of people had think tanks and, and ideas politically and rules and laws that needed to be put in place. Many of them were being done hastily and quickly and were not good laws, weren't well written. And the truth is, the answer to the problem of terrorism was never going to be solved in Washington, D.C. The problem of terrorism is a spiritual problem, not a political problem. You say, well, they disagree with our politics. But if they had the Holy Spirit of God living inside of them and they understood the sanctity of life, there wouldn't be this problem. Well, what about all these folks that are are liberal-minded that go out here and they they try to, to, to... say that abortion is, is acceptable and that uh, homosexuality is acceptable an acceptable lifestyle. We need to laud it and even lift it up and celebrate it. What about these people? The answer is not going to be in the legislation. I, I'm thankful that there are some justices that are considering overturning the Roe v. Wade issue. But can I tell you this? That's not going to solve the problems of America. What's going to solve the problems of America is we get out here and we start telling people about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see God do a work that politicians cannot do. We see God do a miraculous event of transforming the heart and the mind of a man instead of legislating their behavior. That's where the answer is. We're living in very desperate times. We're living in times that, to be real frank with you, I get asked probably a dozen times a month by somebody in one way or another, what should I do in this situation? Know the truth, teach the truth, and share the gospel with people. And above all, do not get bogged down in the confusion of the issues. State the truth simply. State it boldly, state it plainly, and stand steadfast on the moral absolutes and truth of God's Word. Don't deviate from it. Don't come up with a great philosophical answer or some great debating excuse or or argument. Our, Our philosophy, our ideas are never going to make a change in the hearts of a person. But God's truth will. He's promised His Word will never return void. It will do its work. We've just got to handle it rightly. 
I want to encourage us in this. We're living in trying days, and I hope this will be a help to us. I've got some other verses, and maybe we'll teach on them another time, but for sake of time, we'll end there. But um, I want to encourage us in this, folks. We're, we're living in very desperate times, and somewhere along the line, we've got to stand up. All right? So let's stand up, and we'll be dismissed. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for Your Word. Lord, it's, it's been a difficult message sometimes to preach because so many people will not sit and listen or hear these things, and yet they're so needful to be said. So needful based on the authority of Your Word to be spoken and taught. Lord, forgive us for our inaction for so long and our in, uh, lack of, of diligence, our 